everyone. Welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible study author, adventure junkie, and founder of Voice of the Voiceless, empowering women in Africa. Join me here every week for inspiring conversations on discovering miracles in life's messy moments. Here's this week's episode. Welcome back. This is your go-to podcast for anyone craving fresh ways to apply God's word to your everyday life. Today, we'll see how our ordinary and even messy moments can become platforms for the miraculous with my special guest, Kim Aldrich. I'm so excited about our conversation and you are just going to want to lean in to hear from her. I'll introduce Kim in just a second. If you've been tuning in each week, you know just how extraordinary each guest has been. My goodness, I've been so just challenged and inspired by every single one of them. They've shared vulnerable moments of their lives so that we can look for the miracle hidden in the mundane. See, sometimes when we least expect it, God breathes on a situation and he leaves us astounded. Well, later this month, I'll host author Alicia Ilian of Women Repurposed. She challenges us to learn truth and live transformed. You'll also meet award-winning author Pamela Christian as she shares her powerful story as a sudden cardiac arrest survivor. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, reach out to me at AngelaDenadio.com and we would love to have you. Well, I know you're here to hear from Kim, so I'm going to introduce her and then we're going to welcome her to our program today. Kim Aldridge is a writer, a speaker, and a come-alongside mentor who delights in helping women drink in and pour out the truth and love of Jesus in practical and relational ways. Welcome, Kim. I'm so excited to have you today. Hi, Angela. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. And I know that we kind of share some common ground and that we are both a part of the EKS Exceptional Keynote Speakers website, which is how I was blessed to introduce to you. But for my listeners who may not know about you yet, maybe this is their first time kind of being introduced to you. Tell us, you know, all the things about you, where you're from, your family, kind of what's happening in your ministry. Uh, Well, I I live in the Nashville area in Franklin, which is a little suburb where apparently everyone in the nation has decided to move. So (laughs) tiny, now it's huge and bustling and a lot of speakers and singers and all kinds of people live there. And if you go to the coffee shop, you can run into you never know who. True. That's a nice (laughs) little bonus. Um, And I'm married to my husband, Paul. He is a musical comedian and an event producer. So, and I do a little bit of comedy with what I do. So we, we laugh a lot, <laughs> have a good time. Um, we got married later in life, so we don't have our own kids, but we have, uh, I do a lot of mentoring. So we have tons of young women all the time at our house coming and going. Um, just, so a lot of spiritual daughters. And I grew up in Texas, but then we lived in California for a long time. Mm. And now we're in Tennessee. So I actually did this thing online to find out what my accent is, and it came up Idaho. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Is that a thing? How do you like find out? Texas and Tennessee, they equal Idaho. <laughs> what do you do? Do you speak into some like program? And it you answer a bunch of questions about slang oh. and this and that. So I think it's slightly flawed because clearly I, I think I was in Idaho one time. <laughs> So I basically, I'm a writer and a speaker primarily, and I, inter, I intersperse a little music and a little comedy into that because that's kind of who I am. And also because I discovered people learn better when they're mm. having a good time, when they really feel like, hey, we're hanging out 
and then we can go deeper much better. I agree so I sort of that. talk on deeply serious subjects in a funny way. I so. love that. And I see that you mentor millennials. I have two. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if they're called millennials now because everything keeps changing. So I have I know. I'm not even sure if I'm saying the right like name. Like what, what, a generation what? But I have a 23-year-old and a 20-year-old. Oh, so awesome. Do you, do you change anything in your approach um, to mentoring and ministering to millennials? Or what are you seeing as a trend among kind of that age bracket? I see a trend of, and maybe I'm seeing the cream of the crop because I'm seeing people who want to be mentored, mm. but um, I'm seeing a lot of desire to go deeper, a lot of desire to have input, which when I first started mentoring millennials at the time, I thought, what are they going to want to hear from me about, you know? And turns out they're hungry. I think mm. a lot of, of young adults have had broken homes or just felt like lost in the shuffle of this tech world that we live in. And so just to be face to face with someone, an adult who cares about them and they actually enjoy, they're hungry. They're really hungry for that. Really hungry for um, just investment probably, right? Someone yeah, just really yeah. sit and listen to them and hear their heart. And I got stuck at that age myself in my twenties and thirties. And so I, I just sort of talk to them as if I, you know what I mean? Like I think about, mm. oh, what was strugg I struggling with at that time? And I ask, hey, is that a problem for you? And usually it is because it's the same coming of age kind of challenges. We all so what, what caused you to feel like you got stuck at that season of your life? Well, it was a combination of things. I think um, I grew up in a Christian home and, you know, lots of good things, but if there were, you know how there's can be dysfunction under the surface and nobody mm. even knows what to call it, that kind of stuff. And it happened to affect me really deeply because I'm really sensitive and it hit me on an identity level. So I felt like my identity was just crushed to the ground in my twenties and thirties. So I felt like, you know, like somebody who feels like I'm a concert pianist, but I have no arms, you know, you'd feel like this, this urge to do things that you could do, but you couldn't do them. Because wow. something inside you was broken. So it, it led to a lot of despair. Um, so that Lord seems to bring me young women who they have a lot of abilities, but they have no idea what to do with them. Wow, and what, a, what, a, what an illustration. Because I'm a pianist. So to think about wanting and having this desire to play, maybe hearing the music in my head, right? the music, but having the inability just actually cannot do it. And I know you went through a season of pretty crippling depression. Can you, can you share about that with us? Cause that seems to be just almost an epidemic right now among not just it millennials, does. but any age. Yeah. Despair and anxiety. I hear that from almost every woman I talk to, you know, either, either depression of some sort or anxiety of some sort. Um, so for me, it was what I just described of the feeling that I started to feel like a very high functioning misfit, if that makes any sense, because People would say, oh, you have so much potential in this area or that area. But I knew that there was something broken. There was a piece missing or something broken to where um, just it needed, I needed healing. But at the time, I didn't think I just needed healing. I thought I was hopelessly flawed. Like there was, you know, I was just the one person none of this worked for, you know. And I was a Christian. I was a Christian since I was eight. And I was following Jesus, but I didn't know how to let him into that. You know, I think the secret thing that I didn't have the courage to say out loud was, I think God must be just content to waste my life. Ooh. And that was, you know, it just sort of froze me up. 
it's really a lie that we believe, right? And you probably feel, I'm sure that you minister to a lot of women as I do that they're just stuck in those lies because behind these beliefs that we have is some kind of a lie that was sown either by Mm -hmm. something that happened to us or the enemy. In fact, Mm -hmm. you know, many years ago in a counseling session, I heard someone say, um, you know, what happens to us is not nearly as important as what we believe about what happens to us. Yes. And it sounds like you, you know, as so many of us do, let those lies cement that Mm -hmm. your life is not worthless or that you're hopeless and helpless to change. How, How did things change and shift for you? How did you come out of that season? Well, it was kind of a combo, but the main thing was, and this sounds like not a happy thing. It wasn't, it doesn't sound like something would be helpful, but it was. I became suicidal. Mm. I became so, so despondent. I wanted to die. And I actually got to the point where underneath my breath, I would go, I just want to die. I just want to die. And I wouldn't even mean to say it. I just was that miserable. And so I actually made a plan and I wrote a note and all of that. I'm not saying that was good, Mm. but it scared me to death. And it scared me so badly that I ran like crazy to get help. Whereas before I had felt like, oh, I should understand how to do this myself. You know, I wasn't reaching out maybe for counseling or for, well, I did reach out for counseling, but I would go till I feel better, you know? Sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would, didn't want to take antidepressants, any of that. It just sounded like, I just want to trust God for my healing. And so mm. I wouldn't reach out for any human help. But I was so terrified by that experience that I did reach out to a hotline, you know, for um, if you're feeling suicidal and to a doctor. And I got on antidepressants immediately. And within the space of two weeks, I felt so much different because for me, there was a physical component. If you've been depressed since you're 17 years old and you are 37, imagine what that's done to your physiology. 20 years. Yeah. So um, I started walking around going, is this what normal feels like? Is this what good might feel like? I don't know. It feels pretty good to me, you know? And, and so it wasn't the whole solution, but I think it gave me a baseline, I think, to then be able, because I had been going to every inner healing, go deeper with Jesus meeting I could ever find. <laughs> years. And I got it mentally. I was pretty sharp to catch on to what was going on, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't mm. believe it for me. And once that, that, that heavy veil of sadness was lifted a bit, then I started doing the things I'd been learning all along. And I started going to Beth Moore studies, which was huge in my life. Just getting the truth in you. There were a couple right. studies that helped deal with the strongholds and the lies. And um, believing God it was a huge one for me. Mm. And breaking free. I think I did breaking free first, which breaks you free of some things. And then believing God kind of gave you a diagnostic of if your life is a pie, all these sections of your life, where are you trusting God and where are you not? Well, I just thought I've been trusting God my whole life. I don't know what's not working. And God revealed to me the slice of the pie. He's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you believe that I will help you survive, but you do not believe I'll help you thrive. You believe that horrible thing of me. And that's Mm -hmm. the problem. So once I repented of that and I had traction with God for the first time in my life to, to where I'd always had a close relationship with him, but now I didn't believe this ugly thing of him. Sure. <laughs> and so things started shifting and changing. I also went to counseling again. But all those things, it was a combination, but of letting people into that scary place and letting God into it. Well, because we really are body, mind, and spirit, right? We're not just right. one component. But why do we 
why do we cast aspersions? Why do we put this frame around a chemical imbalance of some other kind? And I'm sure I'm not the first person to have asked you, but it concerns me and grieves me because I think it's a stumbling block for people getting the help that they really it is, do. It is. Well, part of it, I think, is, you know, it's more acceptable in our culture than it used to be, hmm. but some people still view it as a sign of weakness, you uh. know? Oh, you needed that. Oh, you needed that. Did you, you know? Yeah. But also, and I say this with gentleness in my heart, but it's kind of pride sometimes too. We don't really want people to think that we needed it, but we did Mm. need it, you know? And so humility is to say, yeah, I kind of do need it. And you made a great point. Like we can read the word, but if our brain can't absorb it, if we're not, if those truths are not really getting in then we need to remove that barrier of whatever that, you know, so this idea of we'll just read more scripture, we'll just say it more, we'll just have more faith, we'll just one without the other. I'm not saying you just do that and you ignore the word of God and you you get all that in your spirit, but I really want to see us as Christian women and men both listen to this podcast to to get beyond that stigma and to to really minister to people from the whole perspective and the whole, the whole approach, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's the enemy, Mm. you know, it's one of his schemes, I believe to twist our thoughts, you know, as much as he can. When I was suicidal, this is this twisted reasoning in my mind was I somehow deep down sensed, I think I might have a gift for counseling people if I ever get healthy, (laughs) you know, Mm. so I didn't want it on my permanent record that I had to go to counseling and take antidepressants. So if I became a counselor, I wouldn't look bad. Is that crazy or what? You know what I mean? But in my mind, it made sense because the enemy was twisting and, hey, you know, you'll never be able to be what you really are supposed to be. If you, you know, it just, you know, he's, he's, he's not for us. He's not, he's cruel, isn't he? And to think that somehow we don't get, we withhold our own like we're in our own way sometimes yeah. because of that. But, you know, I hope someone listening to this will, will hear us and, and realize, wait a minute, maybe that it will even make them a little bit mad to go, are you kidding me? Like the enemy is twisting my own thoughts against me. The enemy is trying to make me believe lies, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to, you know, anger can have a good use too. just kind of go, ah, uh-uh, I'm not fine. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Oh. And even in my show notes for this episode, I like to include the suicide prevention hotline. You mentioned that you called a hotline, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that maybe someone listening today, or they know someone who does like, like you're so worth fighting for, you know what I mean? And that God has such a plan for our lives that the enemy wants to try to thwart it. I think he tells people too, what he told me and I've found out since then, he's told so many people things similar is you're just uniquely flawed. There's just something about you that's wronger than anybody else, you know? Mm. So it didn't matter how many qualities somebody might think I had or how many things I might have accomplished or whatever. It felt like to me, yeah, but there's that fatal flaw and there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. And that is not true. That is not true. I mean, Jesus died for all of us. All of It finally dawned on me when I started to get healthy, I realized, Okay, that's a laugher because we're all fatally flawed. <laughs> we're all flawed, uniquely flawed. Oh, like I'm so fatally flawed compared to more people. And, you know, it's just the enemy's way of isolating. You can mm. isolate one person at a time. You can tell them anything. But if you, you know, that's why I love um, the fact that 20 years of depression was a big thing that I felt ashamed of. 
you know, once God brought me out of it, I was like, gosh, that was a long time. <laughs> you know, mm. Why couldn't it have been 15 years or 10 or five? And now I find I don't look for girls who deal with depression. I don't look for girls who have my similar past or, or, or my, you know, what was my past? I don't look for girls that's in their present, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit does that. Yeah. So then I'm talking to a girl and she'll say, oh, it's been so hard. I've been depressed for six years. Wow. And I'm like, oh, I know that is so hard. I know what that feels like. And she'll say, how long were you depressed? And I say, 20 years. Wow. And then I realized that God took what I was so humiliated about. And he, it's like having PhD after your name to a person who's depressed because they go, you're not depressed now. Mm. I'm like, no, I'm not. You don't have to be. There's light at the end of that tunnel. So he turns these things that, you know, even the most shameful things into, wow. strangely enough, credentials. That's you know? true. That's true. Do you feel like that was part of the catalyst that you felt like you wanted to mentor young women and women just because of this feeling of isolation separates us so, so terribly. And now you mentor a lot of women. Do you think part of that is that sense of community and that coming alongside I'm sure some of it was birthed out of, of yeah, this journey. I don't think it was conscious when I first started. I think the Holy Spirit led me into it. And I, I, from my perspective, I stumbled into it. But from his perspective, he was leading. But I do think there's always this desire to give someone else what I didn't get. Hmm. You know, I'm getting it now. But I'm just sure. saying, um, you know, to give someone, when you, you can recognize them from a mile away. You know, hmm. you can be talking to somebody and you go, I don't know your story at all, but I, the look in your eyes is very familiar. Wow. And you can recognize immediately somebody who's relationally got a deficit. I, I can, you know, just because I lived it for so long. Well, one of the things I love talking about on this podcast is how we can discover kind of the hidden miracles in the middle of the mess. Sometimes they're small messes and sometimes they're messes that last for two decades. Like, like you've experienced and you know all of my listeners have so many different stories and backgrounds but I would love to know some of the ways that you have seen either during that or or since then some miracles how did you discover miracles what does that look like in your life the biggest miracle i see on a daily basis is lives changing before my very eyes you know i feel like i i say this often i feel like i've been being given a front row seat to a miracle you know, because, you know, when children are babies and then they begin to grow, that's a front row seat to a miracle. You know, you're, they're right. changing before your eyes. And when you are mentoring someone, when you're investing in them that way, you know, I'll, I'll flash back to when I first met that girl and she was withdrawn and she had this issue and she had that issue. And then I'll be talking to her one day and I'll go, oh, Lord, do you see it? I see it too. Oh, my goodness. She's becoming mm. who she was meant to be. I think that's a bigger miracle than even a physical healing or, you know, um, lots of other things because it's changing a human being into who they are meant to be. Um, and for people that mentoring sounds scary too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's like one, one coaching tip, one, because all of us can invest our lives in someone, right? We might not be doing it on yeah. the scale that you do as a mentor, but what's a piece of advice you would have us to kind of get over that hurdle of who me, how do I mentor? How can I, or we're scared of that word. One phrase that I, I, I try to share with people a lot who are afraid of mentoring is just be you filled with Jesus. That's it. Be their friend. 
just be you filled with Jesus because everyone needs someone just to listen. Let's say you don't feel competent to do any of the mentoring things you have in your mind that are mentor things. Could you be a friend? Could you go to coffee? Could you listen? Mm. Could you pray? Do you realize how many people don't have a friend to do that with them? Wow. You know, if you could change a person's entire trajectory of their lives simply by being a friend, going to coffee, listening and praying with them. That's wow. it. Even if you don't have any great understanding of what to teach them or this or that, because a lot of people, a lot of people in the church, they have a Bible study, they have a small group that they, you know, that they either go to or could go to. They have um, access to a lot of information, but what they don't often have is that relational enzyme of you and me before Jesus together. Mm. And that's what often is the missing piece. For me, it unfreeze tagged me. When someone started investing in me, it unfreeze tagged me. And I mean, I just started shooting forward. So I get to meet with that lady today on the phone. So I love that. And I wish everyone could see your face. I get the joy of seeing your face in these interviews, but it literally lights up when you talk about mentoring other people. So I can see how much joy that brings you. It does. It does. And it's so exciting too, to see things that even now, I mean, this is, it's been 15 years since I started discipling younger women, but um, I will be meeting with one of them and where she's just telling me about her day or her week or whatever. And then I will give a little bit of feedback and I might share something that's going on with me. It's usually the thing I share with them that I am not perfectly doing, but I am doing my best to do it with Jesus that they'll later go, you know what I learned from you today? And I'll go, you're kidding. <laughs> that the place where I'm weak, that was helpful <laughs> because then it models for them be weak before Jesus and let him make you strong. You know, I and, love that so, because it, I think a lie make. we believe is we have to be perfect somehow in order to speak into someone's life. We have to not have everything together and another all enemy. Stuff together. <laughs> another one will ever say anything if that's the case. The enemy's afraid of two or more people getting together and talking mm. with Jesus in their presence. He, he's terrified of that. But when that happens, people become who they were meant to be. Because Jesus is there by his spirit. And I learned when I first started discipling people, I didn't know how to do it. I just met this girl who needed it. And I, I thought, gosh, I wish I had someone to send her to, you know, but I knew nobody. And so I just kind of, it came out of my mouth without me realizing it was going to. I said, hey, you know, I've never done it, but I think what you need is to meet with a more experienced believer and get your foundation in Jesus. Mm. I'll be willing to give that a try. How about you? And so, and then I didn't know to ask this, but I said, Hey, why don't we both pray about it for a week and then compare notes after the end of the week? And she said, sure. And afterwards I went, I'm not wise enough to have thought of that, mm. but the Holy spirit just gave that to me. So we get together. God had said yes to both of us. So I didn't know how to do any of it. And I've just learned over the last 15 years of just showing up, having coffee, loving the person in front of you. The Holy Spirit's a really good teacher. Yes, he is. And people are afraid to show up without knowing the whole thing. Yep. You know, unless you have a degree in theology, unless you are good at, you know, teaching, unless you whatever these things. But there's somebody out there that needs exactly the kind of person you are. I that the kind that. of person I am wouldn't help them much at all. But maybe the kind of person you are, they're going, but I can relate to her. You know, even I was, as you were saying that I was thinking about my husband, and I passed through a church outside of Washington, DC, we're in Virginia. There are a lot of older experienced Christians who have 
they are a wealth. I mean, they are like a vault of, of yeah. rich insights and word and experiences. And I, I would love to even do a better job of facilitating these kind of relationships between these 20 somethings who don't know what their life is going to look like to sit down with someone who's been around the block a few times and could share and just listen and, and to also benefit from each other's experiences and, and cross generations, this idea of siloing in my own generation really doesn't help any of anybody. And I think that's another lie the enemy has told people, especially people maybe like our parents' ages, that they'd have nothing to give. You know what I mean? Like Because they, they really don't understand that they have this wealth, this treasure trove of experience that they could share because, you know, especially in their generation, you're either a pastor or you're not, mm-hmm. you know, instead of more and more, you know, we're saying, no, actually the word says that, you know, we're all priests. That's right. And we all have something to offer. So, um, yeah. To hook up those two, to connect up those two generations is exciting because, and I think the enemy lies to both those generations and makes them feel useless or not good enough. But the fact is, you know, I learned things from the girls, just be a friend, but you're an older friend than them. And you've had some experiences. They'll ask you about them. It's very natural yet supernatural. The reason, one of the reasons I wrote this, the book Discipleships, which is about how to disciple women is because I would talk to my girlfriends all the time and they would get so excited, you know, cause they would see me really light up over um, talking about it. And they go, wow, that is so exciting and so perfect for you. Hmm. (laughs) But I could never do it. I mean, like they were reading from a script, these women would say this over and over and over. You know, so after years and years, I finally went, Lord, what is the reason these women know you? Why would they think they could never, ever be a discipler? And I think the enemy tells us all kinds of lies. But one of the things I think they believed is they weren't a teacher like me or they didn't have my particular personality or, um, and I think this is something I hear people a lot. They get tripped over. I don't have a ministry like, because I have an actual nonprofit. Hmm. Well, I didn't have it 15 years ago. I just went to coffee with one girl, but I think people feel like, Oh, I don't have a real ministry. I'm just going to coffee with that one person. You are, Allowing Jesus to pour through through you to another person. Hello, you are now a ministry. That's a ministry. Yeah, you are a ministry. Now you mentioned a book and your nonprofit, so I'm going to make sure I include all that for everybody today. So your book is Disciple Steps. Disciple Sips. Disciple Sips. Oh, I Mm -hmm. have that written down wrong. I'm now I'm excited (laughs) again. Disciple (laughs) Sips. And yes. I know that you're kind of overarching by sip aspect. Like I see, and that kind of goes with everything. So in other words, just disciple a sip at a time, which is the same mm-hmm. concept as an inch at a time. Where yeah. can they find that? Just kind of anywhere books are You can found. find it on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and, or you can go to my website at kimaldrich.com backslash disciple sips. And there's a whole page of all sorts of information about the book and tweetables and all sorts of fun things. And where is your, what is your nonprofit? Um, it's associated with um, ACT. Have you ever okay. heard of ACT? I have. Artists and Christian Testimony. Yep. And so it, it's sort of an umbrella nonprofit that smaller nonprofits can come under. So they do the the, the bookkeeping and then this and then that. So sure. that you can and you have spiritual covering. It's a structure over everything that you're doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. But your encouragement for people who don't have any of that, maybe they don't have a book, they don't have. You know, I think of the Samaritan woman at the well, and I wrote about her in my second Bible study, Fearless. She had none of that. 
You know what I mean? And we look at all these disqualifiers. You listed all these ways we disqualify ourselves. I don't have this. I don't have that. She had none of that. Like she literally met Jesus, turned around, ran back to her community, invited all of them to come and meet Jesus and invited him to stay. And he did. So there's power in just what has God done, is doing in your life? What do you want him to do? Share that with someone. Let that person come alongside of you the same way you're coming alongside of other people. And I wrote in that book, you know, your story could be the bridge that brings someone else across to Jesus. And how powerful is your story? Don't wait until you have the ministry, the book, the nonprofit. Those things are great. And, and some of us will. You know, 10, 15 years to happen. Yeah, they're not, and they're not a prerequisite. Well, then they're not a prerequisite for God using you. It might be a goal. And I see so many women who are, say, 40 and above. Their kids are getting older. Or, or maybe they've left the home. Hmm. Um, and I almost feel like I can see written across their foreheads in you know, slightly not so invisible ink. Hmm. I had hoped for more, but I can't admit it. Ooh. You know, a feeling like everybody I think wants this deep sense of connection and this, this, this lasting sense of legacy. And I think once women's children are grown and out of the house, sometimes they can go, Either they're happy with how it turned out or they're not happy with how it turned out, but there can be this emptiness that a lot of women feel like, okay, is that it? Hmm. Yeah, I'm still here, but I don't know what to do with myself. And, and I, I think that is just such a prime opportunity for women to realize, oh, baby, there's plenty more. You know how to parent. Yeah. Discipling is just spiritual parenting. You know, but you, you don't have to change the diapers this time. You can yes. go to coffee, which is fun anyway. So, I love that. I, I, and I just, I hope everyone gets a copy of your book. I'm going to be reading it and I'm going to be intentionally applying some of these. And like you said, some of it's not so intentional. Don't overthink it. Just, just do, just be obedient to what the Holy Spirit has you to once do. Once you get used to doing it, um, people ask me all the time, how do you find all these people to mentor? Once you turn your radar on, and go, and you start noticing who's hungry and who's thirsty. Mm. My question is, how do you miss them? Yeah. <laughs> Not how can you find them? How do you oh, miss them? Fill with people who have this look in their eyes, like, "Hello, anybody? Anybody?" You know? Wow, they're hard to miss. In fact, that's another reason I ended up writing a book is because I could not meet with all the girls I was meeting, and I had no one to send them to. Mm. You know, in a way, it was kind of like we need some help here. Yeah. <laughs> And there are lots of other people besides me out there, but we're sort of isolated. For anyone who's listening today who that this has piqued their interest, your interest, but you still find yourself going, yeah, but uh, whatever, you know, maybe you, there's just a reason that you feel you're not qualified and it's not possible for you. I just want to encourage you. I wish I could just look in your eyes right now and say, mm. stop it, honey. Stop it. You are made in the image of God and God has things for you to do that are beyond your imagination. Just inch forward and trust him. Mm, I love that. Just inch forward. Thank you so much, Kim. I have just been, I'm jazzed. I'm ready to like, I don't know, go out to coffee with somebody. I just, love, <laughs> I love removing barriers for who God has called us to be. And it, you're doing that so beautifully and so um, intentionally and allowing what you've gone through to become a platform to minister to other women. And uh, I just pray God continues to use you in such a mighty way. It's obvious the love you have for people and 
desiring to see them become all that God wants them to be. So thank you for taking this time to be with us today. Thank you. It's been and a joy to talk with you. And I, and I want to invite you, we've kind of, you know, we've, we've stirred up some stuff today. So I'm just going to invite you to just pray over our listeners, whatever might have um, touched their heart, their spirit, their mind in a, in a way that they would experience true freedom that, that Christ offers. Thank you for doing that. Lord Jesus, thank you for having been here with us today. Thank you that you promised where two or more gathered, you will be there. So thank you, Lord, that you've been guiding our conversation already. Lord, I pray for each person who's listening or who will listen at a later time. Lord, I pray that you would give him or her um, just the courage to believe that things could be different, the courage to believe that they too could be a conduit of your blessing and your goodness, that they too could have a legacy that in heaven they could look back and go, oh my word, I'm so excited that that happened. And that that person I encountered and God used me in that way and not in a prideful way, but just in a stepping into their destiny in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that each person that's listening today, would you please give them some sort of inching action step to do? It's good to listen. It's good to be inspired. But I pray, Lord, that you give each person something to do to show up for something to be intentional about, maybe inviting someone to coffee or um, getting more equipped or whatever it is so that we can, as the body of Christ, rise up more and more each day. Amen. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. I'd love to stay connected. So be sure to visit AngelaDonatio.com for my books, blogs, and free goodies. And find me on Facebook at Angela Donatio BOV and Instagram at Angela Donatio. If you've been inspired to make life matter, leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Until next week, let's keep discovering miracles in life's messy moments.